you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Before we dive into this, there's a couple things that I want to kind of challenge you with just kind of as a church family. So if you're with us today for the first time, man, we're so excited. In fact, if you're searching for a new church home, can I just tell you the search is over? We think you found a great home to be a part of. And let me tell you what we want for you. We want for every single person who calls this place home or for those that are entertaining the idea, we just simply want you to take your next step. And for all of us, in every season of life that we're in, that's going to look different. But we've actually created a tool just for you so that no matter where you are in your journey of faith, even if you're not sure what you believe, you can simply text the word next step to the number on the screen. And we have a next step finder that you can follow through. And it will literally, if you're honest with yourself and answering those questions, it will give you two to three solutions or options to take as your next step. And then as a church, we'll partner with you. And here, this is designed that you could take this next step finder every three to six months, and it's going to help you continue to progress in your walk with the Lord. But can I just ask you as your pastor, would you make this a priority? Listen, Jesus loves you enough exactly as you are that he died for you, but he loves us too much to let us stay the same. And we all need to grow in our walk. In, in our faith. So take that next step finder, let us know where you're at, and we'll walk with you in the journey. And the second thing is, it's interesting, is uh, we, my wife and I have been in ministry now for almost 20 years. Uh, we started very early, uh, full-time as interns, uh, just started in the ministry. And you know, it's one of the most challenging topics when it comes to the Christianity and faith. And we're not going to talk about it today, so if you brought a visitor, it's okay. But one of the most challenging topics to talk about our finances. And yet what's interesting is that in the scripture we find 500 verses, in the Bible, 500 verses talking about faith. A little less than 500 verses talking about prayer. But almost 2,500 passages of scripture relating to finances. Jesus told 38 parables in his three years of ministry and almost half of the parables that he taught about had to do with Finances, And yet when I say the word finances from the stage, some of you are like, here we go. <laughs> One of the most profound passages of Scripture is found in the Old Testament in a book called Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 10. It's the basis for the principle or the concept of tithing. And the Scripture says this, to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. And then the Bible says this, God said, test me in this. Give it a shot and see that I will not open the windows of heaven. In other words, bless you. I like to say blow your face up with blessings. It's the only passage of Scripture. Hey, right here for a minute. Only passage of Scripture where God says, test me in this. And so we decided as a church, we're going to back up the Scripture. So if you're here and you're wrestling with the concept of tithing, some of you don't have an issue with this. Tithe just is simple. It just means tenth. It refers to 10% of our income. And so if you're here today and you're wrestling with this concept, we decided to do something for you specifically called the 90-day challenge. And so we want to back up what the scripture says. If you're here and you're struggling with this concept, you can text the words 
90-day challenge to the number on our screen. You fill out a form and make a commitment to tithe to bring 10% of your income to the church for 90 days. Listen, and if after 90 days you don't see the hand of God and the blessings of God in your life, we'll pay back the tithe to you. We'll write you a check 100% for what you gave in those 90 days. Let me tell you why we're doing this. Not because we want something from you, because we want something for you. This is the only blessing where God says, man, you test me in this and watch what I'll do in your life. So I want to challenge you. Give it a shot. Text the word 90-day challenge. Jump in and we'll just see what God can do. And I'm excited for you because I believe God's going to do some miracles. Does that sound all right to you? Awesome. Well, listen, we're in the middle of a series called Believing God. And we're unpacking this, this concept about faith and belief, about the fact that faith is an action verb. It's an action verb. It's not a notion or a thought or a concept. It's an action verb. Faith is what happens when believers jump on board with God. Faith is how we participate in the countless wonderful things that God has in mind to do in our life. Faith is what happens when believers believe. The challenge that I'm running into over and over again is that so many people believe in God but don't believe God. They believe in the notion of a higher power, somebody upstairs that's kind of, you know, just kind of the big man upstairs, this whatever you want to put disclaimers on it or qualifiers on it. We, we can get behind that idea, but the fact that God actually wants to get involved in my life is challenging for so many of us. It's a disconnect. And as a result, my faith has become a notion, not an action. Isaiah talks about this in chapter 7, verse 9. He says this, If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. My friends, faith is not just something you have. It's something that you do. And in this series, we're unpacking what that looks like for each of us. Can I just, can we get a show of hands from some honest people in here today? How many of you would say, you know what, the truth is I've struggled with my faith. Would you just raise your hand? Awesome, thank you for being honest. Listen, that's okay. That's why we're doing a series like this because I believe God wants to strengthen our faith through the course of a few weeks as we hang out and unpack what the Word of God has to say for you and for me. If you'd like to follow along with our notes today, you can text the word NOTES to the number that we've been using. It's on the back of your worship guide as well. And I put all my notes in there and it's something you can follow along with. But let's pray and we'll dive in and see what God wants to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just thank you that you're in this place. We thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for us. God, we thank you that you're here in this place and want to do something in our life. And so God, we don't want to settle for mediocre. We don't want to settle for the mundane. We want to experience the miraculous the fullness of what it is that you have for us. And so all of us in this place come from different seasons, different walks of life, and we're all in different places in our faith journey. But God, for just a few moments today, we open our hearts and our ears to you to hear and receive whatever it is that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, in the beginning of this series, we kind of unpacked where we were going, gave a kind of a syllabus. This was on week one, and, and I challenged each of you to practice raising your shield of faith. The Bible talks about, uh, through a word picture or a metaphor, how we're to, to be prepared for the battle that we face 
in life. And I talked about a five-statement pledge of faith that this entire series is built on and ask you to raise your faith. And there's five statements that we're going to unpack. And here are the five statements. They'll be on the screen. And if you're bold enough, I'd ask you just to read along out loud with me. And the statement number one is, God is who he says he is. Number two, God can do what he says he can do. Number three, I am who God says I am. Number four, I can do all things through Christ. And number five, God's word is alive and active in me. Last week, we unpacked the concept, the principle that God is who he says that he is. And we talked about how so often we try to build God into our own image or to an image that makes sense to us. And the challenge or the problem arises that when we try to define God in any other qualities besides what he defines himself as by default, we minimize him. And we made a bold statement last week that God is either everything he says he is or he's a liar. And it's the foundational statement of faith that matters. Hey, look at me for a minute and lean in. There's nothing that I can say to do to convince you to believe this is simply faith. And faith, my friends, is a choice. And today we're going to unpack this second statement that God can do what he says he can do. And as Pastor Megan said when she was up here a moment ago, I believe some of us walked in here today going, God, I need a miracle in my life. But I'm not sure that you can actually do what I need to do or what you need to do in this environment or for this scenario. In fact, I believe that the first statement often is easier to accept than the second statement. It's often easier just to decide that I'm going to put my faith in or trust in God because I know he is who he says he is, but it's challenging for me to believe in the miraculous for my life right now. It's challenging for me to believe that God is actually going to do a miracle in the environment or the situation or the crisis that I'm facing. In fact, when I say the word miracle, many of us have different concepts or ideas of what that means. Some of you think, oh man, is this one of those crazy churches? No, it's okay, settle down. And some of you are going, please be one of those crazy churches. And some of you are awkward just to laugh right now. You don't know what to do. But I can tell you this, that God can do what he says he can do precisely because he is who he says he is. All throughout scripture, God is identifying himself with titles of what he can do. In fact, as a savior, he saves. As a deliverer, he delivers. As a redeemer, he redeems. The bread of life, he provides. As the Almighty, he exerts divine strength and power. All throughout Scripture, he's defining what he can do. But we, as humanity, we struggle with this. It's a challenge for us. The idea, the concept of God working in our life. Enter what we'll call today the bipolar church. It's okay, you can laugh. The bipolar church. The Bible refers to the church as a body of Christ. That there are multiple churches all around the city, all around this region, all around the state, this nation, this world, that are doing everything they can to serve who God is and, and make his name famous. And, but even within that, there's different challenges. And even right here today, there are different faith persuasions, different ways that you believe in comparison to the way the person seated next to you believes. And this becomes a challenge. I want to unpack this for a moment today. We're going to call it cessationism versus sensationalism. Wow. 
cessationism versus sensationalism. And I would be willing to bet that over a cup of coffee, we might find that each one of us in this room falls into one or two of these categories. Not one or two, but either or. Listen to what cessationism is. Cessationism believes that the more dramatic miracles have ceased in our day. There are entire denominations that actually believe this. Basically stating that God wants nothing to do with miracles in our day. And, and maybe you're hearing you lean to this persuasion, but you would never say, well, I don't believe that God wants to do miracles, but the problem is our faith actually communicates that. Because we've stopped praying big prayers. Our prayer life has become, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. In fact, the only time we think about communication with God is when we face crisis. And most of us in this room probably fit into one or two of these, one or the other of these categories. The other category is sensationalism. And that's the belief that the whole point of belief is miracles. Basically conveying that God is one big miracle machine. You get a miracle, and you get a miracle, and you get a miracle. And this often leads to hyper-emotionalism. Hyper-emotionalism. But look at what the scripture says about these two different persuasions, the two different pendulum swings. Luke chapter 9, 40, verse 41 says, Jesus said this. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? In other words, for those of you that have zero faith, he said twisted. The word twisted actually means perverse or wicked. Isn't this an encouraging message today? And then on the other hand, Jesus comes in when it comes to sensationalism. In verse 16, chapter 16 of Matthew, he says this, An evil and morally unfaithful generation craves a miraculous sign. <laughs> Meaning this. This is super encouraging. You're either perverse and faithless or adulterous and evil. In either of these categories. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that many of us fall into one of these, maybe because of our heritage, or maybe because of our lineage. But here's the common denominator between both of these categories. They are both extremely experiential. One seeks an experience. For the sensationalists, they are looking everywhere they can for a service where they can feel and sense the emotional presence of God. And if I don't feel God, then God wasn't there. My experience is shaping my faith. The other trusts only what it sees and experiences. So if I haven't seen miracles, then they must not exist. One says everything is possible and probable. The other accepts only what is presently possible and probable. And here's the biggest challenge. Both are wildly offensive to God. Sensationalism prioritizes what God can do over who he is. Like a husband who only wants his wife for physical intimacy rather than connection and relationship. It also suggests this, that we can believe God as long as he does what I tell him to do. Are y'all tracking with me today? I got made fun of this week that I say, are y'all track with me a lot? But if y'all amen really loud, I'll stop saying that. <laughs> are y'all tracking with me? Yes. Amen, all right. 
The idea of a sensationalist would be that we are the potter and God is the clay. And we form and manipulate his will to what we need. Sensationism cheats the believer of the rewards of God that come to those who exercise faith. Let me tell you the bigger challenge of this. Is that sensationism undercuts hope. You know why? Because faith is directly tied to hope. Look at what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. 1 Peter 1, 21 says this. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. Romans 4.18 says, Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, exercised faith, and so became the father of many nations. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Hey, look at me for a moment. No one, no circumstance, no matter how persuasive, has the right to take away our hope. And yet so many of us believe that God is who he says he is, but have stopped believing that he can do what he says he can do. Can I rabbit trail for a moment? Yeah. Thank you, Megan. Why do we minimize the miraculous? What do you mean, Pastor Kerry? Why do we minimize the miraculous of a full life where I'm actually pursuing destiny? It's like we, we minimize that when I finally get my life in order and I'm pursuing what God has for me and I'm faithfully serving in the church and I'm at an amazing connect group and man, my marriage has never been where it's been. Why do we minimize that as the miraculous in our life? There's so many people all around the world, in fact, 2.7 million in this county who would kill for a life like that. And yet unless I'm seeing a limb grow or the water's parted, it's not miraculous. Why is it that I minimize the effects of being involved in a connect group with a group of people around me who I'm doing life with? Why do we minimize that as the miraculous? Do you know how many people long for real, authentic relationships? It's the miraculous at work in our life. Or what about the fact that some of you in this room faced a season or a scenario in your life where you thought, there's no way we'll survive this time? There's no way. The doctor's diagnosis or the state of my marriage. Or the problems that I'm facing with the law, if you only knew, there's no way I'll survive. And yet, here you are. Still breathing. Still in it. And we dismiss that as miraculous. There's no way. That's not, that's just coincidence. 
Well, I finally just started making good choices. Well, you were a complete knucklehead, so God's grace is pretty awesome in your life. Why is it that we, we dismiss the miraculous of God's grace and redemption? My jeans are too tight, I couldn't jump back on stage. <laughs> Say no to crack. Fat guys shouldn't wear skinny jeans, it's just the bottom line. Why? If you're with us for the first time, welcome. Why do we dismiss God's grace and redemption in our life? Can I just get a show of hands from some honest people? Anybody ever made some pretty foolish, sinful decisions? Me too. Anybody had some horrible conversations with the people that you love the most? Me too. God's grace is sufficient. That, my friends... It's miraculous. Why isn't it enough in our life? We still struggle with the idea of believing that God can do what he says he can do. You know, I'm not exactly sure for those of you that are the cynics in the room today, that maybe lean towards cessationism, and I'm not exactly sure why it is that we don't experience miracles today in the way that the early church did. I'm not exactly sure all the answers. And if you weren't here last week, then you're missing out on the fact that we talked about sometimes it needs to be okay when we're facing theological challenges to just say, I don't know, but I still believe that God is who he says he is. And so I'm not sure why some of the miracles that we've seen take place in the early church or even sometimes that we see take place in third world countries, I'm not sure why it is that they don't take place in the church in America in the same way today. I do believe there are a couple of reasons, though. These may not be comfortable for you, but here's two of the reasons. Number one, I actually believe we're an unbelieving generation. I believe that unfortunately in America we lean more towards the pendulum swing of cessationism. That God's here and he loves us, but those things are for yesterday. And here's why. I think because we see little and believe little, so we continue to see little and believe little. And my friends, if that's where you are today, then you and I have got to stop accepting the visible as what's possible. Another reason I believe this might be taking place is that sometimes God may have a higher priority for miracles in some generations and some geographies than others. And we need to be okay with saying that. But does that change the fact that God is who he says he is? No. And it definitely doesn't change the fact that he can do what he says he can do. Don't you feel like, hey, look at me for a moment, don't you long to see the miraculous in your life? I promise you do. And I don't know what that means or looks like for you, but perhaps it's time that we begin to pray that way again. Because I believe God wants to do the miraculous in your life. I believe God truly loves turning our neatly compartmentalized belief system upside down. I think he likes to do the, oh, yes, I can, to your, oh, no, you won't. (laughs) I mean, look at how the scripture describes who Jesus is. Isaiah chapter 9. We read this at Christmas time, but this was written in the Old Testament by a prophet who was foretelling, foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. And he said, and his name shall be called Jesus. 
wonderful to be full of wonder counselor almighty god everlasting father prince of peace and my friends if you remove the wonders then he can no longer be wonderful If we remove the wonders, you can no longer call him wonderful. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He's one of my favorite authors. If you haven't had a chance, he's worth reading. Anything that he does is phenomenal. But look at this. Do not attempt to water down Christianity. There must be no pretense that you can have, I'm sorry, that you can have it without the supernatural. I'm having a hard time reading today. There must be no pretense that you can have it with the supernatural left out. So far as I can see, Christianity is precisely the one religion from which the miraculous cannot be separated. I love that. And if you haven't experienced the miraculous yet, hold on. Because you undoubtedly will. You know how I know that? Because he's not finished with your story yet. In fact, that might be the greatest news some of you are hearing today. God is not finished with your story yet. Can I just say this for those of you that say I'm a Christ follower? To have miracles that you are praying for is fundamental to Christianity. But allowing your faith to waver based on whether or not God does what you want is called entitlement. It's childish. And I know that seems harsh. But when my child wants something and I say, no, but dad, I want yogurt land instead of dinner. I know you want it, but that's not the best decision for you. But dad, I'm seven with infinite wisdom. <laughs> this makes sense now. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Thank you, Brent. When I allow my faith to waver, based on whether or not God does what I want. It's entitlement. When Megan was in high school, Megan is my wife, she was up here earlier, there was a guy in the church that we went to, and he was like the dude. Long, flowing hair. It wasn't long, but strapping young man, like six foot five. I'm like five foot fat. (laughs) Came from a very wealthy family. His name was Brandon Pogue. And Megan was in love with this guy. In love, praying, God, please let him be the one. Please, God. Brandon Pogue, writing her name, Megan Pogue. Megan Pogue. Brandon, I hope you're listening to this, buddy. Megan Pogue. God didn't want Brandon for her. He wanted this for her. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded of that famous theologian, Garth Brooks, who said this, oh Jesus, and I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, when it seems he won't answer, it doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts. Our unanswered prayers. Apparently, y'all need to listen to some Garth Brooks. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. He knew what was better for Megan. 
hey, I don't know what God is up to in your life. I don't know what you're facing. But I know that God is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. And his plans are better for you than your plans could ever be. He's a wonderful counselor. The everlasting God. Full of wonder. Full of wonder. Don't minimize who he is. Put his will into your box of conformity. All throughout scripture we're reminded of this. There's an amazing story found in the New Testament about one of Jesus' closest friends whose name was Lazarus. In fact, in this story we read the shortest Bible verse that conveys pure emotion from Jesus. It shows the humanity of the Messiah when his good friend Lazarus had passed away. But there's so many things that surround this story. We find it in John chapter 11, verse 17 through 21. Just read along with me. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, you knew he was sick. You knew what he was walking through. We sent word to you, Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why didn't you come sooner? You can hear the agony in what she's saying. Why didn't you heal him? Now he's dead. Now there is no hope. Do you have a portion of your life story that can identify with Martha here? Facing what seems to be death with no hope. There is no hope. Can you identify with this? Maybe it was a relationship that ended tragically. A fragmented relationship with a son or a daughter, or a brother or sister, a mom or a dad. The loss or the death of a dream. A business venture that seemed to be right and now and no longer works. A marriage on the rocks. I've been praying, God. Why aren't you doing what I know you can do? Jesus, now he's dead. The scripture goes on, John 11, verse 38 through 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead for four days. It never ceases to amaze me how our experience shapes our faith. Here Martha is standing on the very ground created by the one she stands next to. Breathing in the oxygen created by the giver of life. And her experience is still shaping her faith 
perhaps even manipulating her own image of what God can do. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Isn't that interesting that Jesus is saying that? It's almost as if he's reemphasizing the need for faith into the doubtful Martha. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Now I'm going to tell you right now. It would have been a pretty neat story if God had healed Lazarus. But it ain't nothing like calling a dead man out of a grave. (laughs) That's a story you tell for the rest of your life. Have I told you time? Yes, we've heard it a million times. Let me tell you again. He was dead and God raised him to life. There was no hope, and God brought hope. I was out of faith, and God built my faith. What is the hopeless situation that you are facing? Do not compartmentalize and do not minimize the fact that God still does and wants to do the miraculous. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The same God who's in this story is the same God that we serve today. Why? Because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I don't know what your faith experience is like, but it doesn't matter because it's not based upon who you are. It's based upon who he is. God is who he says he is, and God can do what he says he can do. Maybe it's time we start to believe again. Well, how do I do that? How do I muster my faith? You squeeze your eyes really tight, and then you squeeze fists like this. That's how, no, no. It's just start to put your faith in who God is. Just start to pray the prayers again. Write down the big prayers that, God, I need you to do this, but don't overlook the things that God is doing right now. And don't overlook the things that God wants to do, and just remember that when you would rather have yogurt land for dinner, God knows better than you do. In fact, the Bible says that he is a good father who wants good things for his children. God is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. How many of you in this room would just say, man, you know what, to be honest with you, I need a miracle in my life. Would you just raise your hand right now? Hands are all over the... Let me pray for you. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. God, we thank you that you're a miracle working God. Today, not just yesterday, today. And God, right now, for whatever crisis, whatever problem, whatever challenge it is that we're facing, you know. But God, you have a greater plan in store. You have a greater solution than we could ever deem possible. So we don't want to limit who you are or what you can do to our own vain imagination or our own desires. But God, we relinquish that to you and ask that you do what only you can do, and that is to be God.
So right here, right now, we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the fact that you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do in Jesus' name. And I come against the plans of the enemy and the lies of the enemy and the deception of the enemy that would say there is no hope. And we speak life now and hope now in the mighty and the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, before we go, just a few more moments. If you're here today and you have not begun this journey of faith, today is your day. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not even talking about getting rid of your past. But you say, Pastor Craig, you don't understand who I am, where I've been, what I've done. You're right, I don't know, but God does and he still loves you anyways. What I'm saying is that this journey of faith has a starting point. There's a beginning. It's not through osmosis or good thoughts and good vibes. It's by simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision. No embarrassment. You don't have to get out of your seat. But right here, right now, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never begun this journey with Jesus, then today where you're seated in your own heart or with a small whisper, just pray this prayer with me and let's see God begin something brand new to restore hope, to bring faith. Don't let this moment pass you. If you've never begun this journey, today is your day. And if you're here today and you've been running from God, flirting with your faith, today is the day to come running back. I want to challenge you to pray this prayer with me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer or you want to pray it today for the first time in a long time, just repeat this simple prayer after me in your own heart or with a small whisper. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. I know you've given me purpose. But I've got sin in my life. And I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? And just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the movie.